Welcome to Golden Gems with Dave Shaw and Bill Hansen. We review each week the career and personal life of one of the great unforgettable artists of the golden days of radio. So please join with us on a trip down memory lane as we take a look at today's artist. Then go to our website, www.goldengems.net, where we will also look at more of their career and play some of their most unforgettable great hits, which we are unable to share on the podcast. We invite you to join us there also. But for now, sit back and relax as we talk about the life of today's unforgettable artist of the golden days of radio. Well, welcome to Golden Gems. This is Dave Sean, Bill Hansen, and we're uh, featuring today on our podcast, Barbara Streisand. With sales of over 150 million records worldwide, Streisand is one of the best-selling recording artists of all time. According to the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA, she is the highest certified female artist in the United States, with 68.5 million certified album units tying with Mariah Carey. Billboard honored Streisand as the greatest Billboard 200 female artist of all time. Her accolades include two Academy Awards, 10 Grammy Awards, including the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award and the Grammy Legend Award, five Emmy Awards, four Peabody Awards, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and nine Golden Globes. Streisand was born on April 24, 1942, in Brooklyn, New York City, the daughter of Diana, born Ida Rosen, and Emanuel Streisand. Her mother had been a soprano in her youth, and considered a career in music, but later became a school secretary. Her father was a high school teacher at the same school where they first met. Streisand's family was Jewish. Her paternal grandparents immigrated from Galicia, Poland, Ukraine, and her material grandparents from the Russian Empire, where her grandfather had been a cantor. In August 1943, a few months after Streisand's first birthday, her father died at age 34 from complications from an epileptic seizure, possibly the result of a head injury years earlier. The family fell into near poverty with her mother working as a low-paid bookkeeper. As an adult, Streisand remembered those early years as always feeling like an outcast, explaining, Everybody else's father came home from work at the end of the day. Mine didn't. Her mother tried to pay their bills but could not give her daughter the attention she craved. When I wanted love from my mother, she gave me food, Streisand says. Streisand recalls that her mother had a great voice and sang semi-professionally on occasion. During a visit to the Catskills, when Streisand was 13, she told Rosie O'Donnell she and her mother recorded some songs on tape. That session was the first time Streisand ever asserted herself as an artist, which also became her first moment of inspiration. Streisand began her education at the Jewish Orthodox Yeshiva of Brooklyn when she was five. She was considered bright and inquisitive about everything. However, she lacked discipline, often shouting answers to questions out of turn. She next entered public school 89 in Brooklyn, and during those early school years, 
began watching television and going to movies. I always wanted to be somebody, to be famous, you know, get out of Brooklyn. Streisand became known by others in the neighborhood for her voice. With the other kids, she remembered sitting on the stoop in the front of their apartment building and singing. I was considered the girl on the block with a good voice, she said. That talent became a way for her to gain attention. She would often practice her singing in the hallway of her apartment building, which gave her voice an echoing quality. She made her singing debut at a PTA assembly, where she became a hit to everyone but her mother, who was mostly critical of her daughter. Streisand was invited to sing at weddings and summer camps, along with having an unsuccessful audition at MGM Records when she was nine. By the time she was 13, her mother began supporting her talent, helping her make a four-song demo tape, including Zing Went the Strings of My Heart and You'll Never Know. Becoming an actress was her main objective. That desire was made stronger when she saw her first Broadway play, The Diary of Anne Frank, when she was 14. The star in the play was Susan Strasberg, whose acting she wanted to emulate. Dreisen began spending her spare time in the library, studying the biographies of various stage actresses, such as Eleanor Deuce and Sarah Bernhardt. In addition, she began reading novels and plays and studying the acting theories of Konstantin Stanislavski and Michael Chekhov. She attended Erasmus Hall High School in Brooklyn in 1956, where she became an honor student in modern history, English, and Spanish. She also joined the Freshman Chorus and Choral Club, where she sang with another choir member and classmate, Neil Diamond. Diamond recalls, we were two poor kids in Brooklyn. We hung out in the front of Erasmus High and smoked cigarettes. The school was near an art movie house, and he recalls that she was always aware of the films they were showing. She graduated age 16 from Erasmus Hall in January 1959, and despite her mother's pleas that she stay out of show business, she set out trying to get roles on the New York City stage. After renting a small apartment on 48th Street in the heart of the theater district, she accepted any job she could involving the stage, and at every opportunity, she made the rounds of the casting offices. Age 16 and living on her own, Streisand took various menial jobs to have some income. During one period, she lacked a permanent address and found herself sleeping at the home of friends or anywhere else she could set up the army cot she carried around. When desperate, she returned to her mother's flat in Brooklyn for a home-cooked meal. However, her mother was horrified by her daughter's gypsy-like lifestyle and again begged her to give up trying to get into show business. But Streisand took her mother's pleadings as even more reason to keep trying. My desires were strengthened by wanting to prove to my mother that I could be a star. She took a job as an usher at the Lunt Fontaine Theater for The Sound of Music early in 1960. During the run of the play, she heard that the casting director was auditioning for more singers, and it marked the first time she sang in pursuit of a job. Although the director felt she was not right for the part, he encouraged her to begin including her talent as a singer on her resume when looking for other work. 
She asked her boyfriend, Barry Denon, to tape her singing, copies of which she could then give out to possible employers. Denon found a guitarist to accompany her. Said Denon, we spent the afternoon taping, and at the moment I heard the first playback, I went insane. This nutty kook had one of the most breathtaking voices I'd ever heard. When she was finished and I turned off the machine, I needed a long moment before I dared look up at her. Denon grew enthusiastic, and he convinced her to enter a talent contest at the Lion, a gay nightclub in Manhattan's Greenwich Village. She performed two songs, after which there was a stunned silence from the audience, followed by thunderous applause when she was pronounced the winner. She was invited back and sang at the club for several weeks. It was during this time that she dropped the second A from her first name, switching from Barbara to Barbara, due to her dislike of her original name. Streisand was next asked to audition at the Bonsoir nightclub, after which she was signed up at $125 a week. It became her first professional engagement in September 1960, where she was the opening act for comedian Phyllis Diller. She recalls it was the first time she had been in that kind of an upscale environment. I'd never been in a nightclub, she said, until I sang in one. Syndicated columnist Robert Rourke wrote, Her name is Barbara Streisand. She's 20 years old. She has a three-octave promiscuity of range. She packs more personal dynamic power than anybody I can recall since Libby Holman or Helen Morgan. She can sing as loud as Ethel Merman and as persuasive as Lena or Ella or as brassy as Sophie Tucker. And only Barbara Streisand can turn Crimea River into something comparable to Enrico Caruso having his first bash at Pagliacci. When Streisand cries you a river, you got a river, Sam, and she'll be around 50 years from now, if good songs are still written, to be sung by good singers. Quite a tribute. Dreisen accepted her first role on the New York stage in Another Evening with Harry Stoons, a satirical comedy play in which she acted and sang two solos. The show received terrible reviews and closed the next day. With the help of her new personal manager, Martin Ehrlichman, she had successful shows in Detroit and St. Louis. Ehrlichman then booked her at an even more upscale nightclub in Manhattan, the Blue Angel, where she became a bigger hit during the period from 1961 to 62. Streisand once told Jimmy Fallon, with whom she sang a duet on The Tonight Show, that Ehrlichman was a fantastic manager and still manage her career after 50 years. While appearing at the Blue Angel, theater director and playwright Arthur Lawrence asked her to audition for a new musical comedy he was directing, I Can Get It For You Wholesale. She got the part of secretary to the lead actor businessman, played by then unknown Elliot Gould. They fell in love during rehearsals and eventually moved into a small apartment together. The show opened on March 22, 1962, at the Schubert Theater and received rave reviews. Her performance stopped the show cold, wrote Nickens. Groucho Marx, while hosting The Tonight Show, 
told her that 20 was an extremely young age to be a success on Broadway. Streisand received a Tony nomination and New York Drama Critics Prize for Best Supporting Actress. The show was recorded and made into an album. Streisand's first television appearance was on The Tonight Show, then credited to its usual host, Jack Parr. She was seen during an April 1961 episode on which Orson Bean substituted for Parr. She sang Harold Arlen's A Sleeping Bee. During her appearance, Phyllis Diller, also a guest on the show, called her one of the great singing talents in the world. Later in 1961, before she was cast in Another Evening with Harry Stoons, she became a semi-regular on PM East, PM West, a talk variety series hosted by Mike Wallace and Joyce Davidson. In early 1962, she went into the Columbia Records studio for the cast recording of I Can Get It For You Wholesale. In May 1962, Streisand appeared on The Gary Moore Show, where she sang Happy Days Are Here Again for the first time. Her sad, slow version of the 1930s upbeat Democratic Party theme song became her signature song during this early phase of her career. Johnny Carson had her on The Tonight Show half a dozen times in 1962 and 1963, and she became a favorite of his television audience and himself personally. He described her as an exciting new singer. During one show, she joked with Groucho Marx, who liked her style of humor. In December 1962, she made the first of a number of appearances in The Ed Sullivan Show. She was later a co-host on The Mike Douglas Show and also made an impact on a number of Bob Hope specials. Performing with her on The Ed Sullivan Show was Liberace, who became an instant fan of the young singer. Liberace invited her to Las Vegas, Nevada to perform as his opening act at the Riviera Hotel. Liberace is credited with introducing Barbara to audiences on the West Coast. The following September, during her ongoing shows at Tara's Hotel in Lake Tahoe, she and Elliot Gould took time off to get married in Carson City. With her career and popularity rising so quickly, she saw her marriage to Gould as a stabilizing influence. Streisand returned to Broadway in 1964 with an acclaimed performance as entertainer Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl at the Winter Garden Theater. The show introduced two of her signature songs, People and Don't Rain on My Parade. Because of the play's overnight success, she appeared on the cover of Time. In 1964, Streisand was nominated for a Tony Award for Best Leading Actress in a Musical, but lost to Carol Channing in Hello, Dolly. Streisand received an honorary Star of the Decade Tony Award in 1970. In 1966, she repeated her success with Funny Girl in London's West End at the Prince of Wales Theatre. From 1965 to 68, she appeared in her first four solo television specials. Her first film was a reprise of the Broadway hit Funny Girl, 1968, an artistic and commercial success directed by Hollywood veteran William Wyler.
Streisand won the 1968 Academy Award for Best Actress for the role, sharing it with Katharine Hepburn for Lion and Winter. The only time there's been a tie in this Oscar category. Her next two movies were also based on musicals. Jerry Herman's Hello, Dolly, directed by Gene Kelly in 1969, and Alan J. Lerner's and Burton Lane's On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, directed by Vincenti Minnelli in 1970, while her fourth film was based on the Broadway play The Owl and the Pussycat. In 1970. During the 1970s, Streisand starred in several screwball comedies, including What's Up, Doc, 1972, and The Main Event, 1979, both co-starring Ryan O'Neill, and For Pete's Sake, 1974, with Michael Sarazen. One of her most famous roles during this period was in the drama The Way We Were, 1973, with Robert Redford, for which she received an Academy Award nomination as Best Actress. She earned her second Academy Award for Best Original Song with lyricist Paul Williams for the song Evergreen from A Star Is Born in 1976 in which he also starred. From 1969 to 1980, Streisand appeared in Top 10 Money-Making Stars Poll, the annual motion picture exhibitors poll of, of the Top 10 Box Office Attractions a total of 10 times often as the only woman on the list. Streisand produced a number of her own films setting up Barwood Films in 1972. The first film she made, Yentl, 1983, was turned down by every Hollywood studio at least once when she asked to not only direct the picture, but also to star in the film, until Orion Pictures took on the project and gave the film a budget of $14 million. For Yentl, 1983, she was producer, director, and star, an experience he repeated for The Prince of Tides, 1991, and The Mirror Has Two Faces, 1996. There was controversy when Yentl received five Academy Award nominations, but none for the major categories of Best Picture, Actress, or Director. The Prince of Tides received even more Oscar nominations, including Best Picture and Best Screenplay, although not for director. Upon completion of the film, its screenwriter, Pat Conroy, who also authored the novel, called Streisand a goddess who walks upon the earth. A little bit about her personal life. Streisand has been married twice. Her first husband was actor Elliot Gould, whom she married on September 13, 1963. They announced their separation on February 12, 1969, and divorced on July 6, 1971. They had one child, Jason Gould, who appeared as her on-screen son in The Prince of Tides. In 1969 and 70, Streisand dated Canadian Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. She started a relationship with hairdresser-producer John Peters in 1973. He went on to be her manager and producer. They broke up in 1982, during the making of Yentl, but remain friends. She is the godmother of his daughters, Callie Peters and Sky Peters. From November 1983 to October 1987, Streisand lived with Baskin Robbins ice cream heir, Richard Baskin, who wrote the lyrics to Here We Are At Last on her 1984 album, Emotion. 
She dated actor Don Johnson from December 1987 through at least September 1988. The pair recorded a duet of Till I Loved You. In 1983 and 1989, respectively, Streisand briefly dated actors Richard Gere and Clint Eastwood. From 1989 to 1991, she was involved with composer James Newton Howard. Streisand dated tennis champion Andre Agassi from 92 to 93. Writing about the relationship in his 2009 autobiography, Agassi said, We agreed that we were good for each other, and so what if she's 28 years older? We're simpatico, and the public outcry only added spice to our connection. It makes our friendship feel forbidden, taboo, another piece of my overall rebellion. Dating Barbara Streisand is like wearing hot lava. During the early to mid-1990s, Streisand was in romantic relationships with several high-profile men, including newscaster Peter Jennings, as well as actors Liam Neeson, John Voigt, and Peter Weller. She's reputed to have also had liaisons with U.S. President Bill Clinton, Prince Charles, and Dodie Farad. Her second husband is actor James Brolin, whom she married on July 1, 1998. While they have no children together, Brolin has two sons from his first marriage, including actor Josh Brolin and one daughter from his second marriage. A little about her artistry. Streisand possesses a mezzo-soprano vocal range, which Howard Cohen of the Miami Herald describes as peerless. Whitney Billette wrote, Streisand wows her listeners with her shrewd dynamics. In your ear soft here, elbowing loud there, her bravura climbs, her rolling vibrato, and the singular Streisand from Brooklyn nasal quality of her voice. A voice as immediately recognizable in its way as Louis Armstrong's. Music writer Allegra Rossi adds that Streisand creates complete composition in her head. Even though she can't read or write music, Barbara hears melodies as completed compositions in her head. She hears a melody and takes it in, learning it quickly. Barbara developed her ability to sustain long notes because she wanted to. She can mold a tune that others cannot. She's able to sing between song and speech, keeping in tune, carrying rhythm and meaning. While she is predominantly a pop singer, Streisand's voice has been described as semi-operatic due to its strength and quality of tone. According to Adam Feldman of Time Out, Streisand's signature vocal style is a suspension bridge between old-school belting and microphone pop. She is known for her ability to hold relatively high notes, both loud and soft, with great intensity, as well as for her ability to make slight but unobtrusive embellishments on a melodic line. The former quality led classical pianist Glenn Gould to call himself a Streisand freak. Just some of her honors, Streisand was presented Distinguished Merit Award by Mademoiselle in 1964 and selected as Miss Ziegfeld in 1965. In 1968, 
She received the Israel Freedom Medal, the highest civilian award of Israel, and she was awarded Pied Piper Award by ASCAP. She was honored with the Harry Chapin Humanitarian Award from the ASCAP in 1994 and the Peabody Award in 1995, the same year she was accorded an honorary doctorate in arts and humanities by Brandeis University. In 2000, President Bill Clinton presented Streisand with the National Medal of Arts, the highest honor specifically given for achievement in the arts and Library of Congress living legend. She also received the highest honor for a career in Film AFI Life Achievement Award from American Film Institute and Liberty and Justice Award from Rainbow Coalition. Gracie Allen Award, First Annual Jewish Image Awards in 2001, and Humanitarian Award for her years of leadership, vision, and activism in the fight for civil liberties, including religion, race, gender, equality, and freedom of speech, as well as all aspects of gay rights from Human Rights Campaign in 2004. In 2007, French President Nicolas Sarkozy presented Streisand with a Legion of Honor, the highest decoration in France, and President George W. Bush presented her Kennedy Center Honors, the highest recognition of cultural achievement. Streisand has been nominated 43 times for a Grammy Award, winning eight. In addition, she has received two special non-competitive awards, the 1992 Grammy Legion Award and the 1994 Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. She has also been inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame four times. In 2011, she was honored as Music Cares Person of the Year by the Grammy Foundation for her artistic achievement in the music industry. And the list goes on and on to the present day. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you're having as much enjoyment as we are reliving some of the unforgettable memories from the golden days of radio. To learn more about the career of today's artist and listen to several of their greatest hits, we invite you to go to our website, www.goldengems.net. May we also encourage you to tell your friends about the show. We would love to have them join us in these little trips down memory lane. And as always, we invite your feedback or comments on goldengemsradio at gmail.com. So until next episode, this is Dave and Bill heading back into the archives to dust off some more unforgettable memories to share with you on Golden Gems. <music>